right. Well, we are uh, jumping back into a series on the Gospel of John. Um, if you're new with us or haven't been around for a little while, we've been kind of exploring the Gospel of John. We started it at the beginning of the year. We've been taking breaks, going off and on. Uh, at the pace we're going, it's going to take about two to three years, just FYI. Uh, so this is part 21 of this series. Um, so that's just to say I'm not going to recap everything we've talked about, all right, because we're not going to be here for a week straight. If you want to check that out, you can do so on our website, hopecommunityonline.org. But I do want to do uh, is just give us a little bit of background as we jump in today to remind us uh, John has an agenda in writing his Gospel. His account of the life of Jesus. He's very specific. He's like, this is why I'm writing. This is the purpose that I have. Uh, and it's actually the verse that just kind of played on, on the screen. He says, uh, he, he prefaces it at the end of his gospel by saying, like, I'm not even beginning to scratch the surface of everything Jesus has done and everything that he said. Like, this is just a little, little bit. But what I have written, I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says, listen, everything that I've written in this document that we now call the Gospel of John, this ancient document that got circulated around to the different churches and different Christians in the first century and eventually gets gathered together and compiled with all these other ancient documents that we now call our New Testament. He says, everything that I've written in this document uh, is for the purpose that I've given you enough info that you can make a judgment call about Jesus so that you can come to a conclusion. And specifically, John would say, here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe a couple of things that Jesus, that, that first off, he's, he's the Messiah, that is, he's the anointed one or the promised one that was promised to the nation of Israel that would be the one who would set uh, the people free, that would that bring freedom and rescue and redemption to Israel and to all of humanity, the one who would restore the, the, the promised eternal king that would rule in, in righteousness and justice. I want you to believe that Jesus is that guy. And I also want you to believe that he's the son of God, that he's more than just a man, that he's actually God in the flesh. And so if we're ever in this position where we ask, like, well, what is God like? I wish I could know God. I wish I could see who he is and what his character is. John would say, you have. You don't need to look any further than the person of Jesus. He's, he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And that, and that also, he, he comes to offer you something. He comes to offer you life, that you can have life. It's this idea of, sometimes we call it eternal life, but sometimes we just truncate that and make it too short of a thing. It becomes this boiled down caricature of what it actually is. Like eternal life, just we're like, well, that's just like what happens when you die, right? And Jesus would say, no, it's so much better than that. Eternal life is abundant life. It's life to the fullest. It's life that's overflowing. See, there's a kind of life that God intended for humanity. There was a life of flourishing and goodness and beauty and just, it's experiencing his presence and power. He's like, that's the life that he wanted for humanity and then sin entered into the world and death and destruction and that life was taken away from us and Jesus says, I wanna give that back to you. And John's like, here's what I want you to believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God so that you can have that kind of life. And he says, what, I'm, what I've written, that's what this document's about. John has an agenda. He's like, when you get to the end of this, this document of mine, I want you to make a judgment call on this, and I hope that you arrive at this right here. And so that's going to kind of bring us into the text that we're looking at today, because that's the question that we're going to be confronted with of how good are we at making judgments? I'm just curious. Anybody think you're like really, really good at judging things? Like, like I, I'm a good judge of character. I'm a good judge of situations. Oh my goodness, maybe we need to do a whole series on wisdom because you're all like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm awful at judging things. I'm just terrible, right? But that, that's what we're gonna be confronted with today. It's like, how do we judge things? Specifically, um, how do we judge Jesus? What, like, what conclusions do we come to about him? And there's gonna be kind of, uh, you know, two, two groups of people that this applies to. On one hand, there's maybe some of you who are here who are watching online, you'd say, I'm not really sure where I'm at with faith or I'm not really a Christian, I'm still exploring or, or maybe I kind of come to church, but I don't know if I buy, buy all this. And, and for you, the question then becomes like, what do you, what's your judgment of Jesus and how do you arrive there? Who do you think that he is? And there's another group of us that we say, well, I've kind of bought into this already. I, I think that he is these things and so I'm, I believe in him and I'm, I'm trying my best to follow him. 
but we're still called to kind of judge and evaluate Jesus for how he impacts our day-to-day life. In other words, how does what I think about Jesus affect how I live? Do I live this stuff out? Do I really believe this? How does my faith intersect my life? And so what do we think of him? What are his claims? How do we react and what do we do with it? We're gonna be in John chapter seven today um, and we're gonna hit verses one through 24. Uh, And in this, what I want us to pay attention to is how different groups of people react to Jesus or how they judge Jesus or how they view him or see him. So John chapter seven, starting in verse one, John uh, writes this. He says, after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him and the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So the first thing that that John does is he kind of gives us some background of like, so we know going into this what's going on. When he says after this, he's referring to immediately what happened in his gospel before this, John chapter five and John chapter six, because I did good in school and I know that five and six come before seven, all right? He's like, he, he, what happened in John five and John six? So if you go back and read John five, we talked about this a while ago, that what happens is there's this guy who was paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus goes and he heals this man. He says, pick, pick up your mat and go walk. And it's crazy. This is an amazing miracle. And everyone's like, this is awesome. This is incredible. Everybody loves it, except for the religious leaders. Like the religious leaders of the day, they're, they're not so fond of this because they, they think that Jesus, by healing this guy on the Sabbath, because it was the Sabbath, that he's breaking the Jewish law, the law of Moses. They weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And they're like, you're breaking the law. When actually he wasn't breaking the law, he was breaking their kind of man-made interpretation of the law. And so they're ticked because they think he's breaking the law. They, they view Jesus then as he's challenging their understanding of God, of the law. He's challenging their authority as the leaders of the people. So John chapter five ends and all the religious leaders, the powerful people are ticked at Jesus. And then you go to John chapter six and he does this really cool miracle where he feeds all these people, thousands of people with just like you know, loaves and fishes, right? If you're familiar with that story and everyone's like, we love Jesus, he's feeding us, woo, you're awesome. And Jesus is like, oh, you think I'm great? Let me use this little miracle I did that everybody loves me for to kind of teach this really, really difficult uh, teaching. And everyone's like, we don't love you so much anymore. Because people love what Jesus does, but they get a little uh, bothered when when he starts to talk, when he starts to speak. And so by the end of John 6, all the crowds have left him. All that's left are his closest followers, 12 or so people. And so John's like, after this, what I want you to know is the religious leaders are all ticked at Jesus and all like everybody's abandoned him. It's just him and a small group of people. And in kind of our mind, if we were kind of judging, well, is, his, is he being successful with his ministry from a human perspective? We'd probably be like, no, it doesn't look so hot right now. And then he also gives us another detail. Not only is it after those things have happened, but the festival of shelters was near. Um, this is called the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or shelters or booths or tents, all the same uh, festival or, or feast for the Jewish people, or it's just called Sukkot. Um, and this is one of three pilgrimage feasts that the Jewish people would make. Uh, Tabernacles, which is here, Passover and Pentecost, Jewish people would return to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this. So at this time, there's just a swelling of the population in the city of Jerusalem. So all of these people, and this particular festival is is really cool. So what they do is they basically camp out for a week. They build these little tents or shelters um, where people wouldn't wouldn't live in their houses. They'd put them on the rooftops. They'd put them in the alleys. They'd put them out in fields, and everybody would live in a tent for a week. Some of you like camping, and you're like, that sounds great. Some of you, this sounds like the worst thing ever. You're like, I hate the outdoors, okay? But this is what they did. And the reason they did this is it was to remind them of their time for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, where they were like nomads, and they had to live in tents. And during that time, God was faithful to them, and he took care of them. So every year, they, they have this celebration where they're like, we're going we're gonna to have a tent. And so you, have, you and your family, you go out, and, and your kids are like, Mom, Dad, why are we sleeping outside? And they're like, well, because we want to remember how good God was to us. What's actually interesting is, as I was kind of getting ready for this message, 
We're doing a little research on uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, and it always happens in, in the fallish time, but the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar, so it's kind of like a floating date. It can be anywhere from like the end of September into the beginning of October, um, and this was not planned. This is just either coincidence or God being like, I have a sense of humor or a sense of, wow, that's cool, because uh, Sukkot 2022 starts tonight. So tonight starts this, this year's celebration of the, the festival of the Feast of Tabernacles. It goes on for a week. So, so tonight there are people who are getting ready to go out and to live in tents, and we're transported back 2,000 years-ish when this was happening during Jesus' time. And so John's like, this is the scene. Here, here's what we have. We've got a bunch of people going into the city of Jerusalem. We've got religious leaders ticked at Jesus. We've got all the crowds who have left him. And now we're going to be introduced to the first people who have an opinion of who Jesus is and, and what they think he should do. Uh, and it's his own brothers. And they're, kinda, they're, they're seeing in light of what's happening, his brothers say to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works or your miracles, the things that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, go show yourself to the world. And so Jesus' brothers go to him and they're, they're basically like, hey, we, we know how you need to operate your ministry. We know how you should be doing things. You're claiming to be the Messiah. You need to be the Messiah that we expect you to be. And here's how we think you should do it. First of all, you, you need to go to Judea. You need to leave Galilee because Galilee was like the backwoods, just kind of rural. It, there was nothing important there. But Judea, Judea is where Jerusalem was. That's where the powerful people lived. That's where the movers and shakers of the religious and the, and the, uh, and the culture, like that's where the religious and cultural society, that's where they lived. That's where the, the wealthy people were. That's where decisions were made. And so like, hey, the important people are there, the powerful people are there. Jesus, if you really want to get this ministry off the ground, if you really want to, you know, make the changes, if you're going to be this Messiah we've been waiting for, certainly you need to go and get the, the, the influential people on your side. And, and there's going to be a huge crowd there too because, hey, the, the, the Festival of Tabernacles, it's here, so you need to get the crowd on your side, Jesus. You can go win them. And when, he, when, when his brothers say your disciples can see your works, they're not talking about like the 12 disciples that we think of, like his, his close crew, because that crew of guys is with them, is with Jesus in this moment. This is the disciples referring to back in chapter six, the, the kind of the periphery of followers, the, the large crowds and disciples that were following him, all of the ones that left him when he started teaching hard things, his brothers are like, go back to Jerusalem, do some more miracles, win the crowds back, get everyone to like you, go, Jesus, you need, if you're gonna be the Messiah, you need the powerful people, you need crowds of people, you need, because it kind of had this thinking too, the Messiah was gonna like give Israel its liberation by throwing off Rome through kind of uh, violence or, or war. He's like, well, you gotta build an army, you gotta get people on your side, go, Jesus, this is what you should do. And, and then John gives us this little parenthetical note. He says, for not even his own brothers believed in him. Kind of one of the things underneath the surface of Jesus, his brothers and his family, they're like, yeah, we don't really know that you are who you claim to be. Uh, we, we read in other gospels that they actually think he's a little bit crazy. And they, they, they likely probably believe that there's something about him because of the things he teaches and the miracles that he does. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely, God's like working through you. And maybe you're a prophet, but come on, son of God, nah. Messiah, no. You're our brother. How many of you have a brother? Yeah. Is there any miracle that your brother could do to convince you that he was actually the son of God? You're like, I don't care, I don't care what you do. I grew up with you. There is nothing that you could possibly do to, that means, so you, we can kind of sympathize with his brothers. We're like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it either. What's actually fascinating though is later on kind of in the story of the Christian faith and as the, as, as the church, this movement launches, we discover that, that his brothers become his followers. And some of them become church leaders, and two of them actually write documents that get gathered together into what we now call the New Testament, James and Jude. And in those documents, they say, 
that, that Jesus, our own brother, he is our Lord, he's our Messiah. And the thing that changed their mind was they saw him crucified, and then they saw him alive again. And that tends to change your opinion of someone. They're like, oh, shoot, we were right. Or he was right, we were wrong. We're just following you now, right? So here you have these brothers, like, Jesus, here's how you need it. We don't really know if you're who you claim to be, but if you are, here's what you should do. You should do things our way. Go get the crowds. Go, go, to, the important, uh, go to the important places. And Jesus responds to them by saying, hey, my time has not arrived. Your time is always at hand. He's like, listen, I'm on my own timetable. Like, you guys are just like, you're just like, any old time will do. Jesus, just go. The world, does, the world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And so there's a sense in which, guys, you want me to go to Jerusalem, you want me to win back the crowds, and I could do that. I, I could do that. I could do another miracle, and they could, they could love it, but they're still going to hate me because I'm not going to stop saying the things that I keep saying that keeps bothering them. Because one of the things that I've come to do is, is testify that the works of the world are evil. This idea of, of the world, um, it, it's this way of talking about, like, the system of the world. What's just kind of normal? It's honestly, we get this today by just looking around and, and, and kind of evaluating, like, if humans are just kind of left to their own devices, what do we do? It's usually not good, right? Like this is the system of the world. It's, it's, it's abuses of power. It's violence. It's bloodshed. It's, you know, whatever's best for me, I don't care who it hurts. I don't care what it does. It's, it's I want what I want, and I want it now. And even if it hurts me or even if it hurts someone else, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go for what feels right. And it's just, and it's pain, and it's suffering, and it's death, and it's destruction. He's like, that's, that's what the world is. And Jesus says, one of the things I've come to do is I've come to point that out. I've come to shine a light on that. I've come to expose that. And the reason I'm exposing it is because I want to do something to heal it. I want to do something to fix that. I want to solve that problem, but you can't solve a problem if you don't know there is a problem. So I'm here to testify that the works of the world are evil. So even if we go and get the crowds, they're, they're not going to like me because I'm not here to get them to like me. I'm here, I'm here to save them. And so he says, my time's not come. And then he continues and tells his brothers, you, you go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. And after that, his brother, after his brothers had, had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, but not, oh, not openly, but secretly. And so Jesus is like, you, you go, I'm not going. And then later he, he does go. And the emphasis isn't on whether he goes or not. It's how he goes and when he goes. Like, I'm not on your timeline. I'm not on your agenda I'm not who or what you think I should be. I am who I say that I am. And, and so there's this, this idea of like, okay, their judgment of Jesus is here's what we think you should be and how you should do things. And he's like, nope, that's, that's not it. That's not it. And so when he goes up to the festival, obviously, again, it's a pilgrimage festival, so there's tons and tons of people in the city, thousands upon thousands of people. There are these crowds, and there's whispering about who Jesus is. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him, and some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Now we get to see a different group of people making their judgment about Jesus, and it's just kind of the general masses, the crowds of people. And they're kind of split in what their opinion is of him. They, share their, they have things like a difference of opinion, but they also have something in common. One group says, yeah, he seems pretty good. Like, he's, he's doing some cool stuff. He healed my cousin. I heard him teach. Like, it was awesome. Another group's like, no, he's, he's awful. He's leading us astray. He's deceiving the people. He's a charlatan. It's just, it's all a lie but none of them said it publicly. None of them were willing to say, here's what I actually think about Jesus because they were afraid. And the thing that they're afraid of are the leaders and the leaders that John speaks of, these are, these are the religious leaders. They're, they're afraid of like the, the conservative status quo protecting religious establishment. This group of people that said, no, we just want to keep things like it is. 
It's crazy because the people, these religious leaders who supposedly knew God the best, and their job was like, hey, we are here to, to, to help people to know God and to lead them into relationship and to help them to keep God's law. Like The people who were supposed to be doing that ended up being more concerned with maintaining their position in society. And they knew for them to maintain their position and their comfort in the status quo that Jesus could not be allowed to gain this popularity. That people couldn't be whispering about him because if he starts gaining a crowd, a crowd would be a threat to everything. This is, at the time, this is part of the Roman Empire. So first century Roman Empire, the Jewish people, um, they are under Roman occupation. And so there would be you know, Roman soldiers everywhere just kind of keeping an eye on things. And the way that Rome would do things, it's like, hey, you, know, you, you belong to us, you're ours, we've conquered you, but we'll still kind of let you keep your own like, national identity. You don't have to become Roman. You can still be Jewish people. However, don't you dare let there be an uprising or a rebellion or a revolution. We won't stand for that. And so they would kind of, Rome would back the local leaders. And so they would be like, hey, you, you know, you religious leaders, you temple leaders, that, that's fine. You, we will keep you in power as long as you keep the people under control. And so the, the, the fear of the leaders was driven by this, the leaders being like, hey, and it actually says this later in the gospel that if we let this Jesus continue on like this, Rome will come and they'll take our nation and they'll take our temple. And so they're like, we, we cannot let this guy get a following. Nobody talk about Jesus. If you talk about Jesus, there's going to be punishment. And the punishment for, uh, for the people was they would be put out of their synagogues. They couldn't go to their local synagogue. They'd be put out of the temple. They couldn't go and worship. And for us, we're like, okay, I guess that stinks. Like if you're like a person that likes going to church or whatever, you're like, well, that'd be a bummer. I can't go to church anymore, but I'd survive. This was a different time. But to be put out of your synagogue or, or, or the temple and not be allowed to be there would mean you are cut off from your culture. You were cut off from your sense of community. You were cut off from your support system. You were, you were pushed out of what was the, like the center of public life. You were put to the edges of society. You don't belong here anymore. We won't listen to your voice anymore. You can't be a part of, of, what, of what we're doing. And we, have, we actually have a word for that today, and it might bother some of you, so I'm, but I'm gonna say it anyway because I like bothering people. We would call that the ancient version of getting canceled. Right? We think that's like, well, cancel culture, that's a new thing. No, it's been around as long as humans have existed, that groups of people will always try to say, we don't want to hear from you, let's push you to the outsides. And so the religious leaders are like, if we hear you talking about Jesus, if we, if we hear you taken aside, then you're, you're going to be cast out. Right? Like this is just because Jesus comes and he pushes against the status quo. It's like, I, I know this is how things are. I know you're comfortable here, but that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm about. I'm gonna push against that. And what's crazy is, you know, just while, while talking about that idea, the whole idea of like cancel culture, stereotypically, that's something that's usually a topic, talking point of more conservative people. That's, some, that's a buzzword. But it's actually the conservative religious leaders who are doing the canceling in this account. They're like, no, we wanna protect our position and our authority. And Jesus is like, man, I'm coming to push against that. And one of the things that we have to realize if you're a Christian or considering Christianity is it will always be something that is pushing against the status quo. It will be pushing against the majority opinion, and that includes the majority on the right and the majority on the left. You follow Jesus for long enough, and all of them are gonna be like, get out of here. We don't wanna hear from you. And Jesus is like, well, that's what I'm inviting you to come and follow me in. And so these public leaders are like, we're not, we're not the, the religious leaders, we're not gonna have for that. We're not gonna stand for that, so don't be talking about Jesus publicly. And so the, the judgment that the crowds pass on Jesus is like, well, we're gonna judge you based on what the powerful in society say. Verse 14 says that when the festival is already halfway over, so it's a week-long festival, a couple of days have gone past, Jesus goes up into the temple and he begins to teach. 
and the Jews, and when John says the Jews, he's not talking about all the Jewish people. It's his shorthand way of talking about the, the Jewish religious leaders. So this is, again, he's addressing the leaders here. The religious leaders of the Jews were amazed, and they said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Okay, where, where did this guy get all this information? He's teaching these things, and it's like, where, where's this coming from? The way that the, the Jewish system worked and the teachers and the rabbis, you always trained under a rabbi before you. And, so, and he trained under a rabbi before him and him one before him. And so they could tell based on the way a, a teacher or a rabbi would teach, you could, you could tell who his rabbi was. It's like, oh, you were trained by this guy. We can tell because you say some of the same ideas. And they're listening to Jesus and you're like, you don't sound like any of our rabbis. You, you don't, you, it doesn't sound like you've been trained in our schools or brought up in our system. You, you don't kind of have like the temple talking points down, Jesus. Okay, so who, who taught you? And Jesus answers them and says, hey, my teaching, it's not mine, but it's from the one who sent me talking about his father, talking about God. My teaching, it, it's from God. And if anyone wants to do his will, if anyone wants to do the will of God, if anyone wants to do the will of my father, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. It's important to understand what Jesus is saying because he, he's saying, listen, if you guys really want to know God's will, then you'll know that what I'm saying and what I'm claiming about myself, it's true. You gotta want it first and then you'll know it. Usually we, we flip that. Like we're like, well, no, if I have all the right information, then I'll want the right things or have the right desires or, or I'll want to do what God says. And Jesus is like, that's not how it works. Pretty much everything in life, we like to think that we're rational people, and we're like, well, you know, our, my heart will follow my head. It's usually backwards. Our heads follow our hearts. It's like, there's this thing that I want. Now I'm going to go find information that backs up what I already want. And Jesus is calling these religious leaders out on this. He's like, if, if you want to do God's will, but the problem is you guys don't want that. You want to maintain your position. You want things to be as they've been. You, you, you want the status quo to remain the same. But if you, if you actually want to do God's will, you'll recognize what I'm saying about myself is true, and I am who I claim to be. So he's like, you guys, you're, you're all worked up. You know, you're all fired up. You guys hate me. You discredit me. You don't believe in me. And the reason that you keep giving for, for hating me and discrediting me and not believing in me, you keep saying, well, the law, the law, you're breaking the law. That's why we don't like you. But come on, guys, it's not about the law. It's about your heart. You don't want what I'm saying to be true. And then he gets really, really offensive with them. We can't quite grasp how offensive this next thing he says is. He says, didn't Moses give you the law? So Moses was the one that the Old Testament law came through. So then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Moses gave us the law. We have the law of God we're supposed to follow. And he says, yet none of you keep the law. The, the, the whole pride and joy of these guys was like, we keep the law. That's what we do. And we, we teach other people about the law. We are, like, our job is basically just to be good, follow all God's laws. That's, that's our full-time job is to be good. And Jesus is like, yeah, you don't do that. You don't actually follow it, so why are you trying to kill me? In other words, you, you got, you're, you're trying to, to kill me. You're, you're, you're riling up the crowds about me. You want to get rid of me because you're saying that I'm not keeping the law, but you're not keeping the law either. So if you're going to hold me to that standard, then you all should just be trying to kill everyone, okay? Because none of, none of you keep the law, but he's getting at this idea again. He's like, it's not about the law or your misinterpretation of it. I find it really interesting how... <laughs> how they respond to Jesus. Because they're like, we're not going to engage in that argument. We'll just insult you. You have a demon. They responded, who's trying to kill you? Right? He's like, forget having a conversation. Forget going, well, that's a good, you know, good idea. Maybe we should, let's talk about that. Where'd that, where'd that idea come from? Let's have a conversation. Let's, let, let's, let's figure this out. We're like, no, we're just going to attack your character. And again, this is, this is one of the things about human nature. We, we, like some of the problems that we have today, we're like, this is so new for our time. Like 2,000 years ago, nope, we, we, we were doing this. Because that's what we do today. I don't like something you say, you're dumb. You're hateful. You're a bigot. 
you're a racist, you're woke, you're what, whatever insult you want to throw at people, where it's like, I'm not going to engage in the conversation, I just want to, I'm just going to insult you, and so they're, they're like, you have a demon, you're paranoid, you, you've lost your mind, you're, you're evil, no, one, no one's trying to kill you, except at the beginning of this account, it said the Jews were trying to kill him, at the end of this account, we won't get to this verse this week, we'll hit it next week, they're like, hey, isn't this the guy the Jews are trying to kill? And all throughout John's gospel, it's like, and they were seeking to kill him, and they were seeking to kill him. Like, no, 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 nothing to see here, Jesus. No one's trying to kill you. You're just, you've got this conspiracy going on in your head. Because they don't want to actually look at what he's presenting to them. And he says this, he says, like, I perform one work, and you're all amazed. This is back to, you know, John opens by saying, after these things happen, this is still in reference to what happened in chapter five. Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. He's like, you guys, I heal one guy on the Sabbath and you're all just flipping out. You're all like, what is going on? You Sabbath breaker, you. It's like, I do this one thing and you guys are losing your minds. But if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, we're gonna talk about this in a second, so the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? So this idea of circumcision, this is weird to us, but in the ancient world, in the times of the Jews, this was a sign that they were God's people, that only the Jewish people had this practice. And it was required. It's like, hey, if you're a Jewish, if you're a Jewish male, you will be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant that you're God's people, that you're in relationship with him. And, and so the law required that, hey, when, when, a, when a baby boy is born, on the eighth day, he has to be circumcised. And just how that happens to work, sometimes the eighth day happened to be on the Sabbath. Right? And Jesus is like, well, wait a minute, you guys, you're, you're trying to hold me to this, this hard and fast and your definition of the law, but, and it's revolving around the Sabbath, but you guys break it sometimes. See, even, even you guys, as he talks to religious leaders, even you understand that, 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 that sometimes certain things supersede the Sabbath, that some things are more important. And the whole point of, of Sabbath actually was like, it was a reminder of, of, of peace, of wholeness, of good. It was like every week it was this set reminder to remind them of the peace of God and God's wholeness and his redemption and his rest. It reflects all the way back to the days of creation where God rested and everything was, it was full of shalom or peace or completeness or wholeness. And he's like, so this is what Sabbath is about. And like, I actually did something that points to that reality. I healed a man on the Sabbath and you're mad about it. I'm not, I'm not actually breaking the law. This is more of me fulfilling the law, but you have your ideas so set in your head that you're mad about this. And then in light of all that, he addresses them, this particular group of religious leaders, about this kind of Sabbath conversation. But in addressing them, he really speaks to every group of people that we've looked at in this passage, his brothers and the crowds as well. He addresses us in, in this next statement as well, this kind of key point in the passage where he says this, stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly. Stop judging by appearances. Instead, judge, judge correctly. Like, like you're, yeah, you guys, you're not, you're not really thinking that this through. You're just kind of making, you're not making a sound judgment. You're not honest in your evaluation. You guys, you're, you're judging me and what I'm claiming and what I'm doing and what I'm saying based on whether or not it fits into your social norm or whether or not it fits into your religious norms or whether or not it fits into the, the status quo that you become so familiar with. Stop it, stop judging by appearances and judge correctly. You know, we, we throw that phrase around, right? Like this is a popular thing in culture. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Like we shouldn't judge people. And I get where that comes from. Uh, that comes from a place of honestly, a good place of trying to love everyone and trying to respect everyone and say, listen, you're a human who's deserving of honor and dignity and respect regardless of who you are or what you believe. You, like you were made in the image of God. You deserve those things. And so that idea of don't judge someone comes from a good place. But the reality is as human beings, we're actually made to judge things. 
Like all day long, we're actually making judgment calls from big things to little things. You're going to make a judgment call after this, trying to figure out, what am I going to have for lunch? Do I want this or that? Well, what's going to taste better? What will I have last? And, and what's going to, you know, what's going to maybe upset my son who you're making a judgment call? Like, what, what am I going to do with my career? What am I going to do in terms of family? What, I'm, I'm taking in information. I'm processing information. And at the end of the day, I'm judging something. We do that with important matters, too. Of like, what, what kind of, like, if, I, if you're someone who's, like, in a, like, looking to date or trying to find someone to marry, you're like, well, I, I need to be a good judge of, of character and, and people here. You're looking for, like, friendships. You're doing things at work and your personal integrity. Like, everything we do, like, this is a good thing. This is not a good thing. This will get me to where I want to be in life. This won't. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. See, see judging isn't actually the issue. It's not, what, it's not a matter of if or what we judge, but how. How do we arrive at the conclusions that we arrive at? And Jesus is, it's like he's actually saying, hey, I'm inviting you to come judge me. Jesus isn't saying, don't judge me. He's saying, no, do. Come judge me. Come to a conclusion about who I am. Make a judgment call about me. Come to a conclusion about my, my teaching, about, uh, about my, the miracles, about my ideas, about what I'm doing and who I'm claiming to be. I want you to make a judgment about that, but just make sure that you're using the right things to come to that judgment. Don't judge by appearances. Don't, don't judge me based on your preconceived notions of who you think I should be. Don't judge me based on the response of the crowd. Don't judge me based on the threat of the religious leaders or the powerful people. Don't judge me based on your selective reading of the law or, or the scripture. Don't judge me based on just the things that you want or your desire or your feelings, but judge me correctly. I, I want you to see, set everything else aside and, and evaluate and investigate. What do I teach? What do I do? Who do I claim to be? I want you to evaluate and investigate what John had said at the beginning. He said, here's my purpose in writing. I want you to come to the point where you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that you may have life in his name. Jesus is saying, judge me and find out. Find out. See, that, that actually ends up being the challenge for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, no matter where you're at on a faith journey, no matter what you believe, the challenge for all of us is to go, okay, what am I gonna do with Jesus? Am I gonna evaluate and investigate the things he did, the things he taught, the things he claimed to be, and make a judgment call? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Did he die for the sins of the world? Did he raise from the dead? Is this true? And to make that kind of judgment call. And, and again, there's kind of the, this idea that not on appearances, because sometimes we judge Jesus, those of us that are people of faith or Christians, and those of us that aren't, we judge Jesus based on what culture says or what our current cultural moment says. We judge Jesus based on what our family tells us. We judge Jesus based on, you know, what's, what's popular with the crowds. Sometimes we judge Jesus based on what religious leaders or churches say, and, and you shouldn't take their word for it either. I don't want any of you taking my word and informing your entire opinion about Jesus based on just what I say. I'd be happy to be a voice in that journey, but don't just take my word for it. Because there are actually a lot of churches and a lot of religious leaders that are teaching some false stuff about Jesus, and I just get so ticked. I'm like, that ain't him. That's not, that's not it. We don't judge, he's like, don't judge me based on what the right says or what the left says or any of these things. He's like, no, I want you to judge correctly. And so for, for two groups of us, we, like we're called to make this call. Again, for some of you, maybe you're questioning where you're at with faith, or you're trying to figure it out. You've got questions or, or something like that. And, and it's like, for, for you, the question is, are you judging Jesus based on what you've heard or a caricature of him? Or have you actually investigated for yourself? I think everyone owes it to themselves to investigate because like here, here's the reality that like no historian will debate this, that Jesus of Nazareth is the most significant person to ever have lived. Like no one has changed the world or shaped culture or changed our thinking or done something. No one even comes close to Jesus. Like there is no debate over that. 
And so I think, man, every person owes it themselves and go, wait, is there something to this guy then? Is there something to us? Is he who he claimed to be? And that's honestly, this is why we exist as a church. Like we want to help people on that journey. And so we don't want to leave you out there on your own and say, hey, go figure out Jesus, but we, like, whatever help that you would need, I mean, and maybe that's a step as simple as, hey, just come back because like, we do this every week. We're just going to come, we're going to point to, hey, hey, this is about Jesus, it's not about us, we're going to point to him, we're going to try to learn about him and discover about him. Something else you could do is when it starts back up, we run a program called Alpha. Um, there'll be another one like kind of as we get through the holidays into kind of winter and, and springtime. And Alpha is an environment where literally you can ask anything you want, you can say anything you want about faith. Any objection, any question, like nothing is off limits. And it's a space where like, okay, cool. Because if you have that question, if you have that objection, likely someone else does as well, but come explore. You don't want to wait for that. You can always talk to me or someone else. You can message us. But figure out like, okay, is, is, this, is this legit? Is this Jesus guy real? There's another group of us though that we think, hey, I've already made that decision. So I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about this judging correctly anymore. Yay, I'm on team Jesus. No, we still have to do this. This is a daily thing. But every day we, we get up, if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, and it's like, I'm gonna try to figure out, do I really believe that he's who he claims to be? And if I do, that should impact the way that I live. So I need to judge correctly. How, how do I see the world? How do I make decisions? How do I, do, how do I view family and friendship and work and sex and money and personal integrity? How do I arrive at the conclusion I do about all these things? How do I judge correctly? How do I find out those right answers? There's, there's a way to do that. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. It, it takes three things, and they all start with S, okay, because I'm hoping it helps us remember it. If you're a Christian, how do we judge correctly? Number one, scripture. You've got to be diving into God's word. If you want to know what Jesus is like, you've got you to read it. You've got to see what is his heart after. What does he reveal? What does he do? But it's not enough just to read scripture. You can't just read it in a vacuum because the second thing that you need is the spirit of God. Because God's spirit empowers us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He transforms us. And when you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you to reveal more of himself to you, to put power in your life, to follow it out. So you engage in the scripture while empowered by the spirit. And the last one is in community with the saints. Saints isn't something we say that often, but it started with an S. So it could have just been the church or faith community. But saints is, is a biblical idea. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. That's what you're called. That, that, that this whole faith thing is meant to be done with other people so we can sharpen each other, so we can bounce ideas off each other, so that we can encourage each other. Hey, I want to encourage you to judge correctly with this thing. Sometimes so we can call each other out to be like, hey, dummy, you didn't judge correctly in this thing, and I need someone to tell me that every now and then. And, and so we, we dive into scripture empowered by the spirit in community with the saints, and in that process, we gain discernment to be able to judge correctly, to follow Jesus in every area of life. Stop judging my mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. I'm, I'm beyond confident that if we do that, we'll arrive at that conclusion that John wants us to arrive at. That we'll come to a place where we go, oh my gosh, I actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I have life in him. That, 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 that when I look at my life now that I know Jesus and I look at who I used to be, it's like I was a dead person then. And now I'm awake now I'm alive. Now I have purpose. Now I have forgiveness and meaning and joy and peace and love flowing out of me. Now I know what it truly means to be human. And man, I want that so much for all of you, but who cares what I want? Your heavenly father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, wants that for you as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you do love us. 
Man, that you made a way for us to know you. You made a way for us to be in relationship with you, to have our sins forgiven so that, that we can be welcomed into your kingdom. God, I thank you that, that you've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us when we put uh, our faith in you so you can help us to, to judge well and to live out these things. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit will be moving and working in us. For those that may have questions that are still figuring things out, I pray you'd reveal more and more of yourself to them. For those of us that are already uh, Christians or followers of Jesus, I pray you would transform us daily to follow you, to walk with you, to follow after the things that, that, that are in line with your heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.